Do you bow with me for prayer? With prayer. Father, you um, have ransomed us from fear and hatred. And with the uh, death of your son, you bought us back so that we belong to God. We don't know how to express our gratitude except to tell you from deep within us, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, for buying us back. My prayer, Father, today is that uh, this word from Colossians chapter 3 would come from a place within us that is uh, very deep and very rich. That we would not just believe um, these words with our mind, but that this word would go deep into our souls. And that we would find the reservoir, the faith to believe that we belong to you. And because we belong to you, there's nothing in the world that we need. I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I love that film. If you haven't seen uh, the film or if you've seen the Broadway play, Les Miserables, it is uh, a profound um, description of grace. And I wanted to show you that uh, this morning before we began our message because this is all about um, being part of God's life. When I was a boy uh, growing up in uh, East County of San Diego, uh, every year, and I think they still have it, I'm not sure, they have a, uh, it's called the North County Fair or the Del Mar Fair. Anybody ever been to the Del Mar Fair? Okay, a few of you. Um, and as a boy, uh, that was something to look forward to every summer. And it was very exciting. It was out at the... Uh, uh, on, on near the ocean in Del Mar, right by the racetrack, and it was a fair and it had all the, the Ferris wheel and all the stuff. But the thing that I enjoyed the most was the, uh, the fun house. And the fun house for a kid was a remarkable place because it was a place that you would go and, and, and you would see yourself in a different way, especially those uh, the fun zone mirrors. Remember the fun zone mirrors? You could be bigger or taller or skinnier. Your head could be enormous. Uh, you had a distorted image. And I, I took great joy in that, seeing myself in different... But mostly I took great joy in making fun of my three sisters. But that's another subject. Um, but, but as I was growing up, um, other people around me in my life were, were mirrors uh, that gave me a distorted picture of who I really was. I remember in the sixth grade, uh, another uh, a boy calling me hippo. And that seems like a silly remark, but, but all my life I've struggled with weight. So that was really a powerful thing for me to hear. I remember in the 11th grade, a teacher, my, uh, my history teacher, I've told you about Mr. White before, uh, he told me that I was smart and that I could, I could go as far as I wanted to in school. First time I'd ever heard anything like that, except from your parents, right? I remember a coach, a JV coach, told me that um, I had a nose for the ball in football. 
And, and I thought, wow, you know, and it just kind of made things uh, come alive in me that I didn't even know were there. And I remember when I was uh, 15 years old, my, my sisters, my older twin sisters, who were both 16 and could drive, they, just, they, they talked me into going on a date with them and that I was supposed to ask this girl out on a date. And it was supposed to be a slam dunk because they'd already paved the way. And when I asked her, she said no. <laughs> and so all of these things formed my life. Uh, people that saw me in different ways. You're fat. You're smart. You're a good football player. You're not worth a date. All of these things, these messages came inside of me and, and they helped to, to form me and to make me who I am today. And all of the assessments of me, even though they did have a part in forming me, uh, they judged me on how I looked or what I did or what I accomplished. A huge part about believing the gospel is believing what the gospel says about me and about you. Am I living by the voices in my head? <laughs> you're too dumb. You're a knothead. You know, you'll never amount to anything. You've all had those voices in your heads or by the voice of God in my soul. Which is bigger? Which voice is louder? How do you determine your worth? What, what voices do you listen to? Paul's message to the Colossians is consistent and poignant in this regard. When you understand that Jesus is bigger than your sins. When you understand that Jesus is bigger than your brokenness. And yes, he's bigger than your accomplishments. When you understand that Jesus is bigger than all of these things, then at the very depths of your soul, you recognize that you belong to God. And you belong to God, not because you have earned the right, but because simply you belong to God. You see, the temptation, I mentioned this last week, whenever we're faced with a temptation, the temptation in that moment is the temptation to disbelieve the gospel. Is to believe that there's something more that needs to be added to you in order to have a life that matters. Instead, Paul wants us to understand that you can recognize that it's not about behaving better, but it's about believing deeper. And when you come to that place when you, you don't try and behave better, but you simply believe deeper, then you find yourself living by grace and not by works. So let the words of grace wash over you as I read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. This is, is God's word for you, Hope Covenant Church. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these per virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ <laughs> rule in your hearts. 
since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is that Jesus big enough for you? (laughs) Is his love deep enough to reach the very depths of your soul? Is his grace wide enough to embrace you and fill you with joy and gratitude that cannot be contained? So here's the question I've been asking you now for six weeks. Is the grace of Jesus big enough for you? Paul is saying here, you're looking in the wrong mirror. Where you listen to people who judge you or look at you based on your performance or your looks or your wealth. What does God, what does the gospel have to say about you? And here's what the text leads us to today. And please hear this, because this is about you. God's grace, because of God's grace, you are acceptable and you are valuable and you are lovable and you are forgivable. The first thing that we see in Paul's book or this chapter, chapter three, is this the declaration that I am, an ex- am acceptable. I am acceptable. Can you say that out loud? I am acceptable. Now, you didn't say that with very much conviction. Let's try that again. I am acceptable. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen people, you are not only accepted, <laughs> But you are chosen. You are chosen by God. Now, we all want to be accepted. I I remember in my six, seven year of age, we moved from about three or four different places in San Diego, North San Diego. And we were I don't know why. I've never asked my parents why we moved so much, but we were moving and we got to a new school in Escondido. I was in the second grade. It was the third school I'd been in in the second grade. And I remember feeling very, I was a shy kid anyway, but feeling very unaccepted, very foreign. I didn't know anybody. And one of my first day of school, one of the kids said to me, hey, 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 Dwayne. I said, what? I said, every time a new student comes to school, they're required to stand up on their desk. So as soon as the teacher turns her back, you have to stand up on your desk. Now, that sounds like the kind of thing that, you know, second graders would say, right? But I was so desperate to be accepted, I thought he was sincere. And so when the teacher turned her back, I climbed up on my desk. And you know those old school desks, what they're like. I went crashing to the floor and all the racket in the world. I was always the kind of kid that I wanted to hide behind someone else. I didn't want anybody to notice me. But boy, they noticed me. But I wasn't a notice of acceptance. It was a notice of laughter and derision. Jesus tells us that this issue 
of being accepted is settled when we accept his grace. Romans 15, 7 says, Christ has accepted you. When you've received Christ by faith into your life, he has accepted you. No conditions, no ifs, no if you keep the Ten Commandments, not if you're good. Uh, it's, not un- it's, it, it, it's not unconditional because it's based on God's grace and it's, based on your, it's not based on your performance. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, uh, you have been chosen by God himself because of his grace. You have been chosen by God himself. Remember when you were kids what it was like? Whether Usually I, remember, I know this because I was a boy, but the context of you're at the park and you're having a pickup football game or baseball game or something, and, and every boy knows what this feels like. And I, I, girls did it too. I don't know if you did it playing dolls or what. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very good at that. But, but for guys, when you were picking teams for baseball or football or basketball, it mattered. What pecking order? Yeah. Now, I, I, never, I never cared about being picked first. That, that was never in my, 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 my path. But I'll tell you what, I prayed to God that I would not be picked last. You know, I, somewhere in the middle. Just let me be in the middle somewhere. But, but, but picked, picked last? No, 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 no. A, a, or a girl, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl sitting by the phone wondering if she was going to get invited to a prom? People are desperate about being accepted. Now, some of you grew up with unpleasant parents or worse. Some of you still are looking for the acceptance of your, your parents or someone else a male or someone in your life to say that you're okay. Some of you had people in your life that said, now B's aren't good enough, only A's are good enough. And, 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 and it was formative in you. And there's always this sense that you're not quite good enough and you need to do a little bit more. And Well, Steve Brown, uh, one of my favorite authors, a theologian, tells the story of his daughter, uh, Robin, who is in a high school senior English literature honors class. And it was kind of a, it was a little bit above her head, she discovered, after she was in the class for a while. She told her dad, I can't do this class. Everyone in the class is smarter than me. And so uh, Steve Brown took his daughter, Robin, to the next day to school in order to speak to the English teacher. And this is how he recounts the story. She, uh, the English teacher, looked up and saw me standing there by my daughter, and could tell that Robin was about to cry. There were some students standing around, and because the teacher didn't want Robin to be embarrassed, she dismissed the students, saying, I want to talk to these people alone. As soon as the students left and the door was closed, Robin began to cry. I said, I'm here to get my daughter out of that English lit class. It's too difficult for her. The problem with my daughter is that she's just too conscientious. So can you please put her in a regular English class? The teacher said, Mr. Brown, I understand your concern. Then she looked at Robin and said, can I talk to Robin for a minute alone? I said, sure. And she looked at Robin and said these words, Robin, I know how you feel. What if, you, what if I promised you an A no matter what you did in the class? If I gave you an A... Before you even started, would you be willing to take the class? My daughter is not dumb. <laughs> she, start, she started sniffling and said, well, I, I think I could do that. The teacher said, I'm going to give you an A in the class. You already have an A, so you can go to class. 
Well, the, the, the threat of not being accepted, of not making the grade, of, of not being an A student was taken away. So this girl, Robin, she kind of relaxed and she felt accepted in the class. And you, you know what happened. She, she aced the class, right? But, but, but here's the point. This is how God deals with us. Because of Christ's finished work, you've been given an A. The threat of failure, the judgment and condemnation, is God watching out for me, has been removed. Nothing we do or don't do will make your grade any better or any worse. The pardon, the approval, the grace has already been given. You are accepted. Live like it. That's what Paul says in Colossians. I mean, the meaning, the cleansing, the significance, the worth, and the affection we crave and need are already ours in Christ Jesus. We don't need to add anything to it. God's grace says you are accepted. You have received an A in life. But he doesn't just stop there. God goes on and says the next thing in Colossians 3. He says this. I am valuable. Now, we're going to do this every time, so get ready. Let's say it together. I am valuable. I am valuable. Very good. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, you are called holy, not because you Act holy, but because holy lives in you. <laughs> Jesus Christ is, lives in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You are holy. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are declared to be holy and dearly beloved. The word holy comes from the Greek word hagios, which means set apart, undefiled, something very special, the kind of thing you put up on the mantle of your fireplace and you just look at it because it's so beautiful and so wonderful. You have been declared holy. Now, some people get very uncomfortable with that. Because they know their actions, right, aren't very holy. But of course we know that. But when God sees you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus, and he sees the holiness within you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that beautiful? God says to you, you are valuable beyond your wildest imagination. I'm valuable because of his grace. I'm worth something. Well, how, how much do you think you're worth? I, I'm not talking about your net worth. You know, God doesn't really care about that. I'm talking about your self-worth. Net worth and self-worth have no relationship whatsoever. Just ask your rich friends. Your value, has, uh, your value has no relationship to your valuables. The Bible says that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. In talking about how valuable you are as a person... You say, well, I don't know. How do you know the value of a person? How do you judge the value of anything? Well, I think there's two ways that you determine the value of life in life. One is who owns it. That's what determines its value. And the second thing is, what is somebody willing to pay for it? Those things create value, those two things. First, the ownership determines the value of something. 
Um, if you owned a 1956 Cadillac that was in good working condition, it would be worth about $10,000. Okay? That's a lot of money for an old car. But if it's in good working condition, a 1956 Cadillac, big fins, uh, worth uh, about $10,000. But if that is the Cadillac that Elvis Presley owned in 1956, you know, before he went in the army, if that's the Cadillac he owned, that Cadillac's worth over a million dollars. Same Cadillac. I mean, it could be exactly the same, exactly the same markings and everything else. But the value of something is determined by who owns it. Uh, John Lennon's underwear were sold a, a few months ago for $50,000. Now, I tried to put my underwear on eBay. I got nothing, you know. But, but John Lennon's underwear, you know, 50,000. Your value is determined by who owns you. And the Bible makes it very clear. First John 4, 4, you belong to God. Imagine your value. When you come to Christ and say, Jesus, I I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I accept your gift of salvation. I'm redeemed. I belong to you. My sins are forgiven. All of that, you belong to God and you have inestimable value. It means you're priceless. You're valuable. The other thing that determines the value of what is what somebody is willing to pay for it. Right. Um, I was looking over. We're thinking about refinancing our house and. (laughs) <laughs> I was looking back in 2006, I had an appraisal done and it was uh, for $400,000 for our house. And our, you've seen, seen our house, many of you. It's a nice house. Uh, uh, but today the value of that house is $200,000. And really the value of a house is, is not so much somebody saying that's what it's worth. It's somebody estimating what somebody would be willing to pay for that house. And um, wow, what a change. Somebody said, or, or if you have a piece of art, you know, to you and I, you know, uh, you know, Elvis and the dogs playing poker, that doesn't do anything. But, but a, a real piece of art, people say, now that's worth something and I, I, I would pay something. For but listen to this. Listen to what someone was willing to pay for you. You've been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. First Corinthians 723. You have been bought and paid for. By Christ. So you belong to him. What would you give your life for? I mean, the list is short. I, I, I admire people that literally gave the last sacrificial gift of their life, like serving our country in a war. That's incredible. But for most of us, we'd say the list is very short. I'd give my life prop maybe for my wife. Well, not maybe. Sure, for sure I would. <laughs> and I would probably give my life for my kids, my grandkids. But that's about it. For you guys, you're, you're, you belong to Jesus, so you just go on to heaven. That's, you know, you know. But, but, uh, but I'll tell you what. Um, Jesus paid for my life, and he paid with his life for me. Now, 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 when you feel deep in your soul that you belong to Christ, it, it changes everything about you. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 4, that you are precious to me. God's grace says you are accepted and you are valuable. And here's something else it says. God's grace says that I am lovable. Let's say that together. I am lovable.
<laughs> Some of you don't really believe that. I can hear that. And the text in, in, in Colossians 3 says that you are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. Isaiah 54.10 says the mountains and the hills may crumble. Hear, please hear this. But my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. When you feel deep in your soul that God's love is big enough to overcome any inconsistency, any sin in your life, then you feel loved and you recognize that Jesus truly is big enough. There's two things about God's love that I just want to mention. The first one is this, that God's love is consistent. It's never going to end. God is not fickle. God does not change his mind every time you misbehave. Like today I like you, tomorrow get lost. God doesn't have bad hair days. God is not unpredictable. Most of us have experienced inconsistent love because we live with other human beings. But God says, my love for you will never die. And it will never end. But besides God's love being consistent, his love is also unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on you measuring up. As human beings, we try to give unconditional love to other people, to our children, to our spouses. But in the end, we're pretty imperfect about that. I met a man before first service today who um, is visiting here. Uh, He's on a sabbatical. And one of the things he liked about uh, our website and about our sign out front is the sign says, No Perfect People Allowed. Well, when it comes to our giving unconditional love to each other, we are really imperfect. We are but not God. Uh, Sherry and I watched a movie last week or the week before, I forget which. Amelia Earhart, is that last week? Uh, Amelia Earhart. And it was a pretty good movie. Uh, Richard Gere and uh, what's her name? And uh, what's her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hilary Swank, great actress. Well, she played, uh, she played um, Amelia Earhart. Now, this was set in the 1920s. And they were obviously in love, and he wanted to marry her. And she said, ah, I don't know about marriage. Finally, she said, okay, I'll marry you, but in a year, you have to give me an out if I want it. And people in those days, oh, how progressive, how progressive, how sick is that, you know. Now, okay, if it works out, you know, like, uh, let's just rent our wedding rings, you know, we'll, we'll see if it works out. No, God says, I, I, I don't have any of that conditional love. I love you, period. No conditions, no qualifiers, just my grace. You don't, you don't ever have to ask, I wonder if God's going to love me tomorrow. I wonder if God's going to love me today. I wonder if God's going to love me next week. Did I pray enough? Did I go to church enough? Did I give enough? No, God loves you because of his grace and not because of your performance. We always get in trouble when we doubt God's love. Is, is his love big enough for you? God says in Christ, you are acceptable. You are valuable. You are lovable. Even when you feel unlovely. And finally, God says, I am forgivable. Can you say that with me? I am forgivable. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13. This, this is at the very core for most of us. The reason this forgiveness thing is at the core, really a couple of reasons. One is, um, We're not sure we want to forgive everybody that sins against us. 
you know, we, we don't want to give them a free pass. You know, they've got to feel how deeply they've hurt us. I'll, I'll forgive you someday, but right now, I just can't, I can't forgive you. But, but the, the, the amazing thing about this text is that we are called upon to forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. And how many times have we failed him? How many times have we disappointed him? How many times have we behaved like bad children? And every single time, God's forgiveness just is washing over us. We're to forgive the way that God has forgiven us. Maybe you read about the guy going up to Big Bear in California, up to his cabin. And on the way, driving up to his cabin, uh, he ran out of gas. And he was on a steep hill, you know, getting up to the top of the mountain and a lot of snow and everything. And, well, he, he, he parked his car over to the side uh, to walk. He, his cabin was all about another mile away. But he forgot to set the emergency brake, and the car basically just slid down and fell down a cliff. And he just kind of stood there and looked at it and said, what do I do now? So he started walking towards his cabin and then it started sleeting and snowing and he was wet and miserable and cold. And he said, I'm probably going to get pneumonia and oh, what a, this is the worst day of my life. And as he just sees off in the distance his cabin, he says, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm almost there. And he just keeps walking. And just before he gets to the cabin, lightning strikes the cabin and burns it to the ground. And he said, why me, God? Why me? And he heard a voice from heaven respond to his prayer. He said, because some people just tick me off. (laughs) Now you're laughing, but some of you believe that's God. You do. Oh, my life is a mess and and, and God just must be so mad at me and so ticked off at me and he's just going to make my life miserable. Now... In Isaiah 43, 25, we read these words. I am the God who forgives your sins. Now, let me pause there. And I do this because you deserve it? No. I am the God who forgives your sins for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God's forgiveness of you has very little to do with you except for the fact that God adores you. And he loves you. It has nothing to do with your performance or anything else. He just loves you. And he doesn't go around saying, well, you just ticked me off. That's not the way God acts. It's not the way he treats his children. No, never. God doesn't carry grudges. There's no condemnation. Some people think God is mad all the time. We had a woman. Do you remember Beatrice Merrifield, honey, at Crest Community Church? Uh, I grew up with her. She was a, she was an uh, 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 she was a um, uh, an old woman who had never been married, and uh, basically uh, just kind of lived in this this pool of condemnation. Now, the, the thing that's weird about Beatrice is she never, you know, as far as we knew, never committed a sin in her life, you know, because she was so busy pointing out your sins. You know, she had no trouble at all doing that, especially the teenagers, right? And always pointing, and she was always grumpy, and oh, and God hates sin, and and God go out and come out from among them, and and stay away from sinners, and she was all. And I remember one time when I was an older teenager, I, I asked Beatrice, and I did this, and I I think she thought I was sarcastic, but I was asking an honest question. I said, "Does God ever say anything nice to you?" I mean, ever? Does God ever say anything nice to you? Or is there always, Beatrice, you're bad and all these people are bad? You know, just kind of pounding away. What voices are you listening to? What mirror image are you seeing? 
You're not good enough. You need to try harder. You blew it again. But deep in your soul, please know this and then feel this. You are forgiven. You are set free. Your sins are wiped out as far as the east is from the west. You belong to God. Just like Jean Valjean, you belong to God, brother. Yeah, your past sucks. Yeah, your life is not much, but you belong to God. Ephesians 1.4 says it this way. Through what Christ would do for us, God decided to make us holy in his eyes. Listen now, without a single fault, we stand before him who covered, uh, stand before him covered with his love. Did you know that that verse was written for you? <laughs> you stand before God without a single fault. What an amazing verse. God is big enough. The gospel is vast enough. His forgiveness is deep enough. To see you without a single fault, standing before God, deep in your soul, you've got to know this, because this is what Paul is saying all through Colossians. You've got to know this, that Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to do anything. Jesus is enough. When you look into the face of God, what do you see? Condemnation? A scolding father? I'll tell you what he sees when he looks at you. Grace, and I believe this with all my heart, grace is the face, of, the face God wears when he looks at my failures. Grace is the face God wears when he looks at my failures. You are accepted. You are valued. You are loved. You are forgiven. Dr. Fred Craddock, who's a seminary professor and wonderful author, written some commentaries, etc., was having dinner with his family in uh, Gatlingburg, Tennessee, a few years ago. As they were sitting eating their meal, an older man came up and started a conversation with them and asked them if they were on vacation. Yes. And, you know, they kind of tried to put him off, like, what's this old guy doing? So finally they, they gave him enough entrance into their a conversation that he just pulled up a chair and sat down and began to tell them his life story. And this is what the old man said. I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was, and that was very hard for me. The boys at my school had names, they called me, and they made fun of me all the time. When I walked down the main street of our little town, I always felt that people were staring at me, asking that terrible question, I wonder who's the father of that little guy. So I spent a lot of time by myself, and I didn't have any friends. One day, a new preacher came to town, and everybody was talking about who, how good he was. Now, I'd never gone to church before, but one Sunday, I thought I'd go and listen to his message. He was a good preacher, and I kept going back. Each time, I would go late, and, and I would leave early so I wouldn't have to talk to anyone else, nor anyone else would see me. Then one Sunday, I got so caught up in the preacher's message that I forgot to leave, and before I knew what was happening, I was in the middle of a crowd and I couldn't get out and I was starting to panic. And then suddenly I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. When I turned around, that big, tall preacher was looking down at me and asking, What's your name, boy? Whose family are you? Whose son are you? When I heard the question, I just shook. But before I could say anything, he said, Why, I know who your family is. 
I know whose son you are. There's a distinct family resemblance. You are the son of God, he said. You know, mister, and the old man told Craddock this, those simple words changed my life. The old man got up and left. A waitress came over and asked, do you know who that was? No, Craddock said. The waitress said, that's, that's Ben Hooper, two-term governor of Tennessee. You see, when you begin to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus, not through the eyes of the funhouse mirror, not through the eyes of people that know you so well and see your sins so clearly, but when you see yourself through the eyes of Jesus, you will be free. You will be secure. You will be satisfied. And here's the truth. You are accepted. You are valued. You are loved. You are forgiven. Now, get out there and live like you believe it. Get out there and live like you believe it. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. You, Father, are an amazing God. We are so uh, far beneath you and we are so incomplete and we are so broken and we are so filled with flaws and failures. But somehow, some way, you have planted your love on us. You have seen us, you know us, and you say to us, this one I love. This one I love. We don't understand why. We can't answer that. But we just feel, we stand here, Father, in the warmth embrace of that great truth. This one I love. Father, how blessed we are to be accepted, to be valued, to be loved, to be forgiven. And my prayer, Father, for each of us is that we would live in that reality. Lord, help us to stop letting our Jesus be so small in our lives, so tiny, so insignificant that everything else seems better. But the truth of this passage and this word is that Jesus is big enough. He's big enough to satisfy all your needs. He's big enough to forgive all your sins. He's big enough to give you a life that you can't even begin to imagine, the life that we live in Christ. So, Father, may your people today know that truth deeply in their souls. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen.